What's up, everybody? Welcome to the very first episode of The Crossroads, celebrating 20 years of the Xbox brand. My name is Ryan Turford, and this is the show where we're counting down the months to the 20 year anniversary of the original Xbox with 50 of the best games to play on the console for both new and experienced owners. We dive into the brief history of each game and talk about what makes them awesome. As always, we'd love your feedback on this and all of our shows over on Twitter at the Xbox Drive, where you can reach out to me directly anytime at Ryan Turford. Now, of course, I can't believe it's been 19 years since the time of this recording of the launch of the original Xbox, and it's soon to be 20. I mean, November 20, uh, November 15th, 2021 is the date that we're counting down to, um, and this is the very first episode. I'm so excited to be able to talk about the original Xbox because it's really my favorite console of the sixth generation of consoles. Um, I mean, we had the PS2 and the GameCube, and I actually had my GameCube first, then an Xbox, then a PS2, because I actually first played the original Xbox when it came out in 2001. I had actually had a friend who had it and uh, he bought it day one with Halo. And I think I think that was all he got with it. I, I know he had one other game, but I'm just blanking on whatever that was. But we would go over all the time and play Halo all the time. Uh, we would have like land games where basically like his three friends that also bought Xboxes would bring their Xboxes over. and We'd have like four tube TVs and we just hook them up and, and play like 16 player land games on Hang Him High and, and Blood Gulch on the original Halo. Like we played that a ton while I was in high school. Now, I remember that was like my my grade 12 year of high school. So I was actually pretty close to graduating and moving away. And uh, yeah, just having so much fun playing the original Halo. But it really wasn't until 2003 where Knights of the Old Republic came out. And that's when I finally decided, OK, I'm going to jump in and buy an Xbox and see what that all that was about. Because I was actually buying most of my third party games on GameCube at the time. Um, but I just obviously... I hadn't really had as much experience with the Xbox and I didn't know until after buying the Xbox that all of the games of that generation look way better on Xbox. It's no question if you actually look at those games today now, um, it's definitely the most powerful of those three consoles and people really utilize the power of the the the, uh, the console itself. I mean, GameCube was actually just a, a step down and it was actually a step up above PS2 where PS2 was kind of, um, the even though it was the best selling console, mainly because it was the cheapest way of buying a uh, DVD player at the time. Um, it was definitely the least powerful of the three. So it was definitely the original Xbox was kind of an eye opening experience for me. And I mean, it's kind of just carried the tradition for me going forward because I, I started buying all of my games, uh, both first party and third party on Xbox only. And then when there was an exclusive on PS2 or GameCube, that's when I would pick those up. And and that continues to this day with the Series X. I mean, I'm doing the same thing with with Xbox today where I'm buying basically all my games on Xbox unless they're exclusive to Switch or, or uh, PS4 or PS5 at this point. So um, that's kind of how I got into Xbox anyways. And I thought it was kind of important context going into this list as to uh, like a little bit about me real quick. All I wanted to say as well before we get into things is I wanted to quickly go into how I came to the, the list of games I got here. So first of all, I actually have a pretty sizable Xbox collection, original Xbox. Um, I've been collecting the original Xbox games for a while. I had famously sold my collection. I talked about this when we did the roundabout uh, to pay for my 360, um, but I've been slowly accruing all of my games again, and uh, it's been cool to kind of have them all back in here. I don't have a super huge collection, which again brings me to point number one for criteria. 
obviously I can't possibly have played every single original Xbox game. So if your favorite game isn't included here, it's a possibility that A, there's a reason why I didn't put it on here, but B, it's a possibility that I just haven't played it because I, I mean, I haven't played all thousand games there are for the original Xbox. There's just too many games for me personally to play. So um, obviously this list is going to be very representative of my choices. I mean, Sean didn't really weigh on in this on this list or anything like that. It, this is basically just a very personal list for me. So just keep that in mind uh, as I go through everything. But um, just like the roundabout did, I had the same kind of criteria going into this list as well. Um, basically, how each well each game looked and run today, I think is a very important factor. Um, because, I mean, if we wanted to just give you a top 50 list of Xbox games at the time that they released, we could just go to Metacritic score by score, and then that would be your list. And I wanted to do something much more interesting because also I, I want to throw this out there, too, because uh, original Xbox collecting is kind of on the rise. And a lot of people are, are looking for some of these games or just looking for stuff to play on the original Xbox. And I wanted to make sure that this list kind of reflected what the best games are to play now that have really held up over time. Also, how fun it is to play today kind of goes back to my first point, but just throwing it in there there as well. And also my own personal enjoyment, since this is a personal list uh, for me personally, you might not agree with my personal rankings on here um, or even the games that I put on this list. And that's totally OK. Um, again, this list is not meant to be that a definitive critical eye look on the original Xbox is just going to be like 50 games that I know from my own personal experience are fun to play and that I've enjoyed. So um, I wanted to make sure that that was a, a big part of the experience going into uh, into the crossroads here. And again, I did that with the roundabout as well. So again, expect a very similar type of list this time around as well. And also, I just like the roundabout, I didn't try and take like every game from a specific franchise um, you could, I, I made sure to put games that, that were spaced out a little bit. Um, but obviously if there was a franchise like Halo, for example, where they had multiple entries and they were, they were very deserving of being here, obviously I put them here. So just throwing that out there as well. That, so let's get started with our first couple games. And when I say first couple, this is not 49 and 50. This is 50. I'm actually rolling them all into one. Now, while most people will say that licensed games didn't really get good until 2009's Batman Arkham Asylum came out. You'd honestly be surprised as to how many great licensed games actually have stood the test of time on the sixth generation of consoles, specifically on the Xbox, because like I mentioned before, Xbox was the most powerful console of the sixth generation of consoles. So nine, nine times out of 10, those games always played best on Xbox. There are rare exceptions, of course, but uh, for the most part, they, they really played better on Xbox. So I cheated a little with my first pick, and you've probably already guessed this by the title of this video or uh, the podcast, we're actually going with two games from the Lord of the Rings saga, the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, and the Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Now, you might be asking yourself, Ryan, why are you picking two games? Why are you already cheating already? This list just got started. Um, you should be only picking one game at a time. And I'd say, well, this is my list, and I choose how we decide to do it. But also, I think more than anything, these two games in particular are almost like a compendium to each other. They have to be played together. Like that's kind of how it works. I mean, my original choice for this list was actually going to be the Lord of the Rings Return of the King. I mean, this was a game that I loved. I bought it actually the, the same day I bought my Xbox. I've actually had this copy of the game forever uh, because I was so excited for the movie and I'd heard really great things about the game. And then I actually ended up picking up the two towers later because I was like, this is cool, but it only really gives me the return of the king part of the story. It doesn't really give me a lot of the other ones, whereas 
obviously the two towers gives you more than that. And I'm going to tell you why right now. As both of these are licensed from their movies, the story in both games each follow their respective movies that they were based on, but the two towers went a step further than that. We also had a Fellowship of the Ring game on the original Xbox, but it was actually based off the book rather than the movie from a completely different developer. These games were actually developed by EA, whereas the other game, I, I, I can't remember the, the name of the developer off the top of my head, but again, very different company, very different game altogether. That was actually a like an action RPG, whereas these are more like hack and slash beat em up games almost. EA had been developing a Fellowship of the Ring game going all the way back to 2000, but they were unable to release it in 2001 as they originally planned. So they rolled the content into the Two Towers instead. In the Two Towers, Aragorn is recounting the tales of the Fellowship of the Ring to Eowyn right before the Battle of Helm's Deep. And basically, it just starts with Aragorn basically telling her the story that goes all the way back to, again, the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring and tells all the events going all the way up to the Battle of Helm's Deep. And then you also play the Battle of Helm's Deep in the Two Towers as well. I mean, it wouldn't be a Two Towers game without it, um, but that's kind of where the flashback part of the story kind of ends. Throughout the game, you'll play as Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli, with their own separate progression systems for each character. In The Return of the King, you'll start the game as Gandalf at the end of the Battle of Helm's Deep, but once the battle ends, you'll play the game as down one of three major paths. Gandalf's journey to Minas Tirith, Sam and Frodo's journey to Mordor, and Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas's journey to recruit the Army of the Dead as well as saving the day at the Pelennor Fields. All three are available from the start of the game, and you'll play the levels in any order that you so choose. I mean, you can't, like, go to the end of the game first, obviously, and, and then go backwards. It doesn't work that way. But you can, say, bounce between the, the, Gan the Gandalf path and the Hobbit path at any time. I definitely love this approach to game design because I love the freedom of being able to go through the story in, in the way that you wanted to. You're not really stuck with a specific set of characters where it almost felt limiting in the, the two towers where you always had to, it was very linear. I mean, you, you didn't really go off the beaten path or anything like that. You didn't, you couldn't choose to start with the two tower stuff in the two towers. You had to go through the fellowship of the ring stuff to make your way there. Um, but at the same time, I liked that in return of the King, it kind of gave you that the branching paths. So I thought that was kind of cool. And, and you could really go in anywhere. You could play all the Gandalf levels first and then play all of the, the Hobbit levels and then play all of the, the Gimli and Aragorn and Legolas levels in kind of any order you wanted to. I thought it really also added some replay value to the game as well. Um, cause it basically give you a bunch of different options for, for going back and replaying the game in kind of any way you wanted to go about it. I mean, also once you complete each level, you can play them as many times as you want from the level select menu, uh, that comes up on the, the display when you first pop it in. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to uh, get to experience the story in your own way. One aspect of these games that separated them from a lot of licensed games in this era are the live action cutscenes woven throughout the game. Between levels, you'll see scenes from the movie setting up each level, with each level also starting with a live action cutscene that morphs into the in-game cutscenes seamlessly. While the in-game graphics vary wildly from the live action ones when you compare it to uh, today's standards, this was an amazing effect back in 2002, and it really just shows how close we were in visual design of the virtual sets and characters, even if it looks, again, a little silly by today's standards. It also really got you pumped to play each level, and it made you feel like you were playing through the movie in a way that licensed games really weren't able to do up until that point at all. Like, again, licensed games, all the best licensed games out there really make you feel like the character that you're playing as. And the Lord of the Rings games made you really feel like you were playing the movie, which, again, just really separated yourself from like uh, from uh, 
the experience and it, it did it in such a great way again it's part of the reason why games like batman and arkham asylum uh were so amazing as well is that it made you feel like batman and that's what made arkham asylum great and and just like that back in 2002 it made you feel like the fellowship of the ring uh which again was led to a great experience we also got to see all of the main actors from the film reprise their roles in game with their voice and likenesses a went the extra mile in traveling to Weta in order to recreate all of the movie sets in game as well as to include some materials that didn't make their way into the movies themselves. It feels like an authentic product and it's really been the closest we've really gotten to playing the Lord of the Rings movies in video game form as after these two games, the license moved away from adopting the film specifically and exploring the space outside of Middle-earth instead. That's how we got stuff like Middle-earth Shadows of uh, Shadow of Mordor. We got Lord of the Rings The Third Age. We got a whole bunch of different games, and, and this was really the last time they revisited the movies. Um, the Lord of the Rings Battle for Middle-earth on PC was the only other example of a Lord of the Rings game where they, they really focused on the movie story, um, and they really just took it in a whole bunch of different directions. Whereas uh, if you want to play a game that is basically the movies, again, these are really your only two options. Gameplay in both The Two Towers and Return of the King are actually pretty simplistic hack and slash action. You'll be mowing down orcs and orokai with mixes of light and heavy attacks that range in speed and power depending on your chosen character, as well as a mix of some ranged attacks. As you complete each mission, you'll be able to unlock new skills and ability for the character that you played as, but there are also fellowship upgrades that will give you skills across all of your characters at a slightly higher price. There are no RPG stats to manage, and it keeps progression fairly simple while also being very customizable depending on your playstyle. While the combat isn't going to win any awards for complexity, it's still a ton of fun to play through the games today. My only critique from the gameplay side is that I would have loved to see local multiplayer in the two towers as well as Return of the King because Return of the King actually had a really solid two-player co-op mode. You can actually play this game with a friend and it's a lot of fun to play this game even today with, with a buddy if you've got one um, where the two towers, you are just playing by yourself and uh, it definitely is it does definitely detract from the fun if you are playing single player. Again, it's not a huge departure because I still think these games are really solid even if you play them by yourself, but definitely if you've got a friend with you, I mean, you guys are going to have a great time just mowing down orcs and uruk and giant spiders and epic bosses and really playing through the, the big epic battles from Lord of the Rings with a friend is just super fun. Overall, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, I think you're going to totally dig both The Two Towers and Return of the King. I think they are solid pickups. However, honestly, if you're not into Lord of the Rings, you're probably not going to enjoy this too much because the gameplay is pretty simplistic, like I said. Um, so, I mean, there's not a lot of stuff to bring a non Lord of the Rings fan into it. But man, if you like Lord of the Rings at all, if you like the movies, you got to pick these up. These are great and they're fairly cheap right now. If you want to go pick them, I think I got these for like three dollars each complete. I mean, yes, they're the platinum hits versions, but come on, they are they are totally great pickups for anyone who is a Lord of the Rings fan. That's all for this episode of The Crossroads. You can hit me up on Twitter anytime at Ryan Turford. You also find the Pantsman himself on Twitter at Sean Capri or us on Twitter at The Xbox Drive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Crossroads or watching it, and we out. Bye.